This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This is Wins and Losses with Clay Travis. Clay talks with the most entertaining people in sports, entertainment, and business. Now, here's Clay Travis. Welcome into Wins and Losses podcast. I hope you guys are having a good time wherever you may be as we move closer and closer to Thanksgiving, at least if you're listening in uh, 2019. I know a lot of people are going to be on the road, including... Cousin Sal, one of the co-hosts of Lock It In, who is with me every day from 4.30 to 5.30 Eastern, 1.30 to 2.30 Pacific on FS1. Uh, He is currently uh, leading season two of the show. But it occurs to me, I don't really know that much about anything uh, in his life in the grand scheme of things to where he ended up uh, on the show with me and everything else. We have a fantastic time. So I think he's with us now. You can find him on Twitter at Cousin Sal. Uh, and Sal, uh, that, I kind of want to start with that at the beginning. Where did you, like, what was the first time you thought, hey, maybe I can make a living in uh, in the entertainment space? Was it, I know your cousin is Jimmy Kimmel. Was it, like, did you guys yeah. talk about it when you were kids? Like, what was uh, what was, like, a moment where you thought, hey, maybe we could do this? Well, can we first start with you giving out my right freaking Twitter handle, which is at the cousin Sal? Oh, my bad. Move on to the, yes, the my bad. I'm, ar- I'm already uh, already o for one. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, all right. So, at the cousin Sal. By the way, let me Twitter. just say this. I, I know this is very strong. I want to get into this real quick, real quick before I answer questions. I love this because you have a, a radio show, a successful radio show, and whether or not you want to admit it, you want to phase this radio show out, and so you start this podcast. <laughs> And now this podcast is wildly, uh, wildly um, uh, popular, and the radio show is doing better than ever. You're never going to stop talking. You're just going to have to be on the air all the time. It's a, this has backfired. But this is what my wife you. says all the time. I keep trying to find ways to do less work, yeah. and inevitably, every time I try to do that, I end up working more. So I don't know the solution yes. to this at all. This is, this is why I told her <laughs> that I'm going to retire at 50. She doesn't believe me, but I'm like, I'm 40 right, right now. I want to go hard for 10 more years. And then I'm just vanishing. That's my plan right now. Just I'm going to make enough money where I don't have to do anything for the rest of my life, and I'm just going to vanish. I kind of do like the fight and being in the middle of things every day on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. But I would like to be able to yeah, sleep. I know you do. 
Um, so yeah, uh, I know, and I know that was your plan. But I mean, you are on the air or some form in the air every hour of the day. I mean, you might as well just start posting your therapy sessions online, right? I mean, I basically, uh, you I know, my wife said the other day, and I think she's right, that radio is my therapy. Because she said, you're so lucky that you get to come on every day and just say whatever you think. And, you know, people don't have to agree or disagree with it, but you get every thought thought out of your head. And so you don't bottle anything up. And the result is you kind of walk around lighter than air because you aren't like there's nothing bottled up inside. You just put it all out there. And I do think there's some right, truth exactly. to that. Like, I, I do think that that is uh, I, I'm healthier since I started doing radio for that reason. <laughs> And it's kind of it's kind of crazy, but I don't, I don't have to spend money on therapy. So let's go back to you. Well, You're first of all, let, before we go back to how you got started, how terrified were you? So we had never met, right? Uh, you and I, for people out there who who are not aware, the very first time we met, I walked into a Fox uh, office of our boss Charlie Dixon. You were already there, and I had heard that you were a really nice guy, but I didn't even know what you looked like. And so I was like, yeah, I've heard Cousin Sal is a really good guy. And then Charlie, like, he's like, hey, come out here for a minute. I want you to go see somebody. He's like, hey, that's Cousin Sal. He's in the office with us now. And I was like, oh, really? Well, it's a good thing that I said something positive <laughs> then, I guess, uh, because uh, because yeah. otherwise it could have been a mess. But were you – you probably did not hear the same things about me. Like, I heard good things about you. Were you terrified? Were you like, this guy's going to be uh, totally insufferable? I was a little bit. And some people describe you to me as, well, this is going to be the Simon Cowell of your show. And I was like, all right, that could go one of two ways. You know, I don't know if this is a routine with Simon Cowell or not, or if he could turn it off or we could be friends or, or not. But uh, I had heard a lot of things. I heard that. I heard that your persona uh, off the air is the same, and yet it's charming, and that everybody <laughs> who knows you in this capacity likes you. But then I also heard a lot of things that you had done, the CNN uh, interview and the, and the yeah. whole uh, – what, what, I think I heard you about Greg Schiano or something. Something. And then yes. I was like, it was like, a, there was a, I was like, wow, this is a lot to overcome for me to be uh, buddies with this guy. And then, uh, but then I almost immediately knew that it was going to work out. I don't know why, but I could just, I could just tell. Did you, did you feel that too? Or yeah, you for pe- yeah, for people who don't know, so our show got put together and you know a lot more about television than I do, but even I'm like, this doesn't happen very often. Our show got put together in like basically the space of six to eight weeks. And, uh, and and that might even be an exaggeration of how quickly this thing came together from the point of you know us agreeing to do it to the launch of the show. And really the first time we were in a room together, uh, other than we went out to dinner, which was like a big kind of group dinner, we did a uh, what, what you would call basically like a table read. You, me, Todd Furman, and Rachel Bonetta. It was the first time we'd been in a room and I thought our table read went insanely smooth, right? And 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 I was yeah. like, oh, this could be pretty good. And from that point on, I was like, I think this show is going to be a lot of fun, and it has. I mean, I, I genuinely love doing it every day. Well, I do too. And you know, I don't know if you remember what happened the second day. So that room, we that day we were all together in the room, and then we tried one where you guys were on some kind of weird satellite, which wasn't even uh, it wasn't even in sync with the satellite we use today. And that was a, a disaster. That was like the <laughs> third day. And that was really bad. Like the, uh, the delay was about three times as long as it is. And it's not great, uh, right now. So, yes. um, and it, it, we were, uh, we, you know, we were all green and we didn't know how to handle it. And, uh, I remember thinking, oh boy, 
I think we're going to all have to be in the same. We're all going to have to move to Nashville or something. I don't know what's yeah, right. There. Yeah, for people who don't know, Todd does the show from Vegas. I do it from Nashville. You are typically, I mean, you travel sometimes, but you're typically on the main uh, Fox lot in L.A. Uh, with Rachel. But it's been uh, awesome since we got going. So let's circle back around. So um, how did you, so at what point did you start thinking? I know you went to undergrad, I think at SUNY Oswego. Am I right about that? That's right. It's like upstate New York. It was a SUNY school. That's yeah. And I went to high school in uh, in Long Island, so it was about a six hour six hour drive. But and then yeah. you went to law school, right? Like, uh, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, I graduated uh, high school. Uh, I'm sorry, I graduated college, and I had like two jobs fall through, and one of them was a phone screener for my cousin Jimmy. I had already always done like radio bits for him. You like this because he was fired from like seven radio jobs oh, in a I matter of like nine yeah. years. Yeah, 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 and it's bad. And he was making, you know, he was going from one job that made twenty thousand oh, dollars to yeah. the next that made twenty two thousand. And by the time he got to twenty four thousand, he had a wife and kid, and it's you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's miserable. It was miserable all the way through. But somewhere along the line, after college, he's like, "You could be my phone screener for me here in Tampa." And I said, all right, what, what the hell do I care? I have nothing else lined up. I'll, uh, I'll do that. And then that fell through. I think, like, the program director gave him an ultimatum. He's like, yeah, we'll hire your, your cousin as a phone screener, but uh, then you can't ask for a raise for another three years. I, like, like, that even exists. Like, what, what kind of deal is that anyway? Yeah, right. And he's like, uh, yeah, to save my marriage temporarily, I think uh, <laughs> we're going to have to put the phone screener thing on hold. So I really – had nothing else to do. I had applied for a local law school, uh, Toro Law, which I joked was uh, part lawn maintenance and part law, <laughs> but it was Toro Law in, in Long Island. Uh, and I got in, and it was like 40, 20 minutes from my house. And I was like, oh, man, I really have nothing to do, but I'm not, I'm not into law at all. And then everyone's like, well, you could become a businessman. You could do anything with a law degree. You can yeah. run a business. You'll have a good business head and everything. I was like, all right. And then I graduated, and everyone's like, oh, my son, the lawyer. You have to be a lawyer now. I was like, wait a minute. This wasn't our deal. I yeah. hate law. But were you like that, too? Did you, you like <laughs> I, law, though, right? You, well, you didn't see, mind the reading and stuff? I love the reading, and I like the law school part of it, but – I at 20 when I started practicing so I I graduated uh Laura and I you know my wife we got married we moved to the US yeah. Virgin Islands cuz I was like this will be so exciting you know we're young we don't have any kids and I remember being in that office and having what I would call a quarter life crisis you know where I was like oh my god this is never going to end, you know, like I, you know, cause I mean, and look, yeah. I didn't hate it. I mean, there are a lot of worse jobs you could have. And I'm not trying to say like being a, a lawyer is the worst thing you could ever do. I loved law school, but I remember we were having an argument over whether a law filing was uh, ready, was, was like legal or not, because whether February 29th happening was excusable neglect. Uh, In other words, somebody missed a filing because it was a leap year, right? And so there's an extra uh, day on the calendar, which is a typical lawyer thing, right? But people are like really fired up and arguing about it and it had been going on forever. And I was like, did I really spend all this money to go to law school so I could argue about whether February 29th was excusable neglect? So now I argue about whether the Cowboys are going to cover on a television show. So I've clearly uh, exactly. ended up with a much more significant <laughs> thing. But no, I, I knew I didn't like it. It was just so slow moving. And uh, and right. I wanted to get out, but that's when I started writing online, which then led to radio. But so, what did you do? Did you go practice in a firm, or what did you do when you graduated? 
Well, what's interesting, really quick, before you, you uh, with the whole thing with the football, I remember at orientation at law school, I was still a gigantic football fan back then, and I was in like six fantasy leagues, yeah. and I had this terrible gambling addiction, and I remember asking everyone, like, hey, do you watch, do you watch football oh, on Sundays? Yes. Like, adding the, the second-year students, and they're like, oh, no, there's no time for that. I'm like, oh, oh. yeah. Well, I'm watching football on Sundays. I don't care. I, whatever. If I come away with the, with these, I'll, I'll be okay as long as I get to watch football on Sundays. And sure enough, that's pretty much what I did. But no, I graduated, and uh, and my girlfriend at the time, her mother was a big uh, real estate um, uh, a broker, and so she had ties to a real estate attorney's office. And that that's it. I would just like shovel papers. I was an attorney that represented like thirty banks, and I would go to closings all over the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, all of these terrible boroughs. And, uh, yeah, I never really liked a minute of it. So you were like 25, 26 years old doing this? That's right. I came right out of uh, high school, college, right to law school. Okay, yeah. so, so that I got was a, the only thing about it. Yeah. I got a, a good story for you about law school, too. I remember, so I, I was pretty good at talking, right? Like, so if I got called in on, on in class, I could handle, you know, the questions, the Socratic method that the teacher would ask. And I remember I did really well early in September. Um, in fact, and this is a little bit of a, a little bit of a dark story, but after September 11th, I was a first year law student in September 11th. Uh, when September 11th happened, and for like three weeks after that. The rest of September, if I remember correctly, they decided that it was such a traumatic thing and so many different people had connections to either New York or D.C. Or, and the, the whole process that they would not just randomly call on people because they were afraid that they would find, you know, like somebody would have not been able to sleep or whatever. And then they they fall apart, you know, getting questioned. So you only they only took volunteers. Uh-huh. So I volunteered. I was like, screw it. I'm happy to talk. You know, I wasn't, you know, more, you know, d- d- unable to speak after 9-11 or anything. And I killed it, like discussing one of the cases in, uh, in the class. <laughs> and so all the smartest all right. kids in the section, they came up to me after class and they were like, hey, we want you to be in our study group. We're all going to get, you know, oh. the, the curve. We're all going to get A's. We think that you will kill it. Do you want to join our study group? I mean, these were like, you know, the, the, the gunners of the gunners uh, in the law school. And I was like, ah, well, uh-huh. let me think about it a little bit. You know, I was like, when do you meet? And they were like, well, we meet on Saturdays. And I was like, well, I mean, I watch college football all day Saturday. Like, what time do you meet? And they're like, well, we meet five hours on Saturdays. You know, I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I mean, I'm going to sit and watch college football all day. I mean, I understand you got to study, but I'm not giving up college football. Uh, so uh, so that, I had a kind of a similar experience where I was like, I, I liked law school, but I wasn't willing to give up the things that I like to be a lawyer. Does that make sense? Absolutely, but you've done more with your degree than I have. I mean, I really kind of abandoned it almost right away, like two or two years into uh, me being a, a real estate attorney. But I, I, you, you had little brag. You got to see the Virgin Islands at least. I didn't do any of that, and you know, I, I think I should have known then instead of just finishing paying off my loans um, twenty-seven years later, whatever. <laughs> I should have known. Hey, wow! I, really I just do. finished I mine too. Internship with the Cowboys or something? Did you? I just. It's a nice thing. I, yeah, it's, I hung it, it on the refrigerator. I was like, this is my my crowning achievement right here. Finally it is being done. crazy how long it takes to pay it off. So, okay, you do it for two years, and then what happens? How do you – so you're, you're a real estate attorney running all over New York, and then what happens, and you're like, screw it, I'm out, and what did you do? So this was my the rock bottom for me. Well, I, I had dated a girl for eight years uh, in Long Island. We went to uh, upstate uh, – we were together upstate at school and college, and we happened to live 20 minutes from each other. Uh, in real life after school. So, yeah. um, so then I was like, you know, the mother helps me get a job and I'm doing this real estate stuff. And we had just gone to a wedding 
in Los Angeles. And my cousin Jimmy is now a little more established. He's about to uh, get a job hosting Win Ben Stein's Money. He's like, you know, I could use a writer. I do these syndicated sports uh, editorials that run on like 40 stations, which seemed like a big deal at the time. Yeah. Like I can give you $100 each and uh, for each one, and, uh, you know, maybe you could help write for me for this game show. I'm like, I can't leave New York. I'm in five softball leagues. <laughs> I have this girlfriend for eight years, yeah. and I have this job. I'm a lawyer. It doesn't make sense. I didn't I, – I, I was a prisoner to that stupid loan. I was like, I can't leave law no matter yeah. how much I dislike, you know, because I owe all this money. That Things have to make sense. A lot and of people listening like to us right now know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. If you've got those student loans kind of hanging over your head. So I, I would suggest you get out. I, I really would, yeah. but I don't know. You know, everyone's different. But rock bottom for me was I'm driving this 84 Chevy Cavalier. It was on its last legs. And like I said, like, I'd have a, a closing in, like, in the Bronx at 10 a.m., and then I'd have another one somewhere in, like, midtown Manhattan at 1230. It works differently on the East Coast. A, they make a bigger deal out of real estate closings. And then I would have to be in Suffer, New York, uh, which is over the Tappan Zee Bridge at like 3.30, and then make my way all the way back to Long Island. So I wasn't getting home until 8 o'clock. And this stupid car breaks down on the bridge. Oh, my and God. Like, almost like a fire under the hood and everything else. And like oh, I was almost in tears. It was raining. You know, I, of course, didn't have AAA or anything, so I don't even right. know how the hell I got it out of there. But I was like, I got to get out of here. I absolutely did. And obviously, like, it's pouring rain. That was the day I got back from the flight from the, the wedding in Los Angeles, which is obviously it was like April. It was like still like 82 degrees. I was like, yes. what the hell am I doing right now? So, I, like, sometimes it has to slap you in the face. Did you have a moment like that or you were just like, all right, I did this and I'm going to move on? This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. I will give eternal credit to my wife uh, for this because I came back from the Virgin Islands and I had an idea for a book Um, and I had started to write online, wasn't making any money at all. Uh, But the idea for the book was I was obviously a huge SEC football fan and there had been a book written about this guy who followed Alabama football around. And when I was a kid growing up, and it had done well, called Rammer Jammer Yellowhammer by a guy named Warren St. John. It's a great book. Um, and when I was a kid growing up, my dad and his friends would go to one SEC football game every year on the road. They were big Tennessee fans. And they would pick one every year. It was a big deal. He and his buddies, they'd go away. And, and the goal was to go to every SEC stadium. That's a big deal in the SEC still. It's like, hey, I want to be able to see a game in every opposing team stadium. So I thought to myself, right. what if I spend the fall going around writing a book about why SEC football matters? And, and I'll call it Dixieland Delight. And I pitched it to my wife. And, you know, my wife at this time was back in school. We had met in law school, but she didn't want to be a lawyer. So she went back to school. She was at Vanderbilt to get her uh, counseling degree. And I said, I got this idea. Instead of practicing law this fall, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to go around to all 12 SEC football stadiums. I'm going to stay, do it cheap, stay with buddies on the couch like uh, that I knew that were fans of the teams. Uh, and I'm going to turn it into a book. And I gave her that I had made the whole roster of the games that I would go to and exactly what it would be called. And to her eternal credit, she said, what about going to the cocktail party? Which wasn't on campus, but she had heard of Florida, Georgia, and knew it was a big deal. And so she supported it. And so that was, to me, that was my sort of opportunity. To me, I think that was my jumping off point to, I think I can make a living doing this. And also credit to my uncle, who I think everybody self-doubts a lot. Um, And so when I was writing online, I was making $100 a week, right? I mean, I was writing these columns, uh, grinding away. And my uncle said, it's not different if one of your parents says something, but my uncle said, he was reading the columns, and he was like, hey, I think one day Clay could make a living doing this. And that was just, uh, that was kind of my jumping off point. I had a lot of pratfalls along the way, uh, but, uh, right. but that, was, that was my kind of uh, declaration of independence, for lack of a better term. And because of that, you devote uh, 42 minutes of our 44 actual show minutes after commercials to the SEC. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> eternally lo- I, I'm eternally yeah. loyal and in debt, yes. So that was my getaway. So, okay, your car breaks down on the Depan- uh, Tappan Zee Bridge. Uh, you don't know how right. you got off, but do you get eventually you get back home and you call Jimmy and you're like, I'll take it. Whatever you want, I'll come. So that was basically it. And, you know, the, the tough thing was going to be uh, – breaking the news to my girlfriend of eight years and right. uh i remember i was going out there june 13th and it was memorial day and i still hadn't told her and my cousin broke the news to her uh, it didn't mean to but she's like what do you think of sal leaving oh it's be my god each other. But, oh. and, that, and i was just like i could just tell without hearing it i could just see the body language in the backyard they were yelling they were laying out on a blanket and i was like oh that's it i'm dead i am absolutely dead oh my god being like why the fuck? Why wouldn't you tell me? She was screaming at me. I was like, yeah. Why wouldn't I tell? You? Because of this. Look how you're behaving. <laughs> and uh, which I thought was funny at the time, but did not make uh, things any easier. Um, but I did go there, and you know, we had the East Coast, uh, the long distance relationship that it didn't work out. You know, for for many reasons. But 
I'm glad I did. And I remember trying to figure out how I could make it work um, doing the L.A. job, writing the sports editorials from New York. But uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta stay here in LA. This is ridiculous. It's so much, it's so much easier to be unemployed or semi-employed in LA than it is yes. New York. But I would recommend if you're looking to make a big departure from whatever you've done, if it's law or whatever else, don't don't feel indebted to the debt and do it because it's always going to be worse down the road. It's going to be tougher to break oh, yeah. away. You, you have one kid, you're going to have three kids, and it's going to be, and then you'll never get away. So I think it's important to. Um, just trust your instincts when it comes to these. So what was your salary? Do you remember what you made when you moved to L.A., and where did you live? So I was uh, I made $28,500 as a lawyer a year. Yep. As a, and then I moved there, and my cousin Jimmy gave me all the money for the sports editorials, and that was $100 a day, uh, five days a week. So that's what, like almost twenty five grand a year? Yep. But I was really just... I was really just doing these sports editorials, and I wasn't doing anything else. I'm like, hey, I should get like a bartending job. And, uh, and my cousin Jimmy's like, no, 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 because it's all perception. If people see you as a, a bartender, then you'll be labeled a bartender. I was like, yeah, all right, but I could, I could really use the extra money <laughs> trying to figure something else out. Um, but then, uh, like I said, when Ben Stein's money came on and he hired me on as a writer, not a writer of the questions, but I would uh, help him with jokes. I had always done, like, um, character bits for him on his radio shows, wherever he bounced around to. So he knew I could do voices and, and write bits and everything. So when he was interviewing contestants, we would figure out together what the funniest things about them were. And, uh, and then he came up with the man show. I think the man show overlapped with Win Ben Stein's money, and I was one of the writers on that show. And that was the best time. I think that was the best time of my life. I really think it was. I mean, you, you could, if you have to ask, answer the best time of your life, it's, it sounds shitty if you say it's when you didn't have kids. But yeah. when I didn't have kids, that was the best time of my life. That was a tailgate party in the parking lot before every episode and just people, crazy people. And, you know, when it was uh, acceptable to look at girls, scantily clad <laughs> girls, uh, there, were, there were plenty And there. have them jump on trips. So I loved I loved the Man yeah. Show. I watched Ben Stein's Money back in the day, like because uh, I remember that coming on and being popular, and I loved watching right. that show. But then I loved the Man Show. I mean, I, I loved everything yeah. about it. I thought it was hysterical. I still think it's hysterical, which you're not supposed to think that it's hysterical anymore now because everything's <laughs> like offensive. Uh, but w- so, how does that show end up happening? So, like, how does the pitch happen? How does the pilot happen? I'm genuinely curious because you were there as that process is going on. When did Jimmy meet Adam Carolla? When did you meet Adam Carolla? Like, how does that show happen? Jimmy was uh, so Jimmy was a sports guy on K Rock, was a popular radio show, uh, a station out here. Yeah, and he got into a mix up with the engineer, this guy Michael Michael the maintenance man. He was the engineer of the uh, radio program, and they decided to. Uh, have a fight, like a boxing match. I think they called it the Bleeda and Racina. <laughs> and they were going to sell tickets to it, and all the fans were going to go. And Jimmy wanted wanted to be trained by somebody. Yeah. And Adam Carolla answered the ad or called in or something and showed up uh, to train Michael, the maintenance man, the other guy. But yeah. Jimmy answered the door at K-Rock to let him in and then spoke to him and, you know, because Adam was a boxer. He like, he was, he's actually a good boxer. He actually trained people himself and he made a boxing movie called the hammer, which is pretty good. 
And uh, Jimmy Stalkinson was like, wow, this guy is really funny. He's like, screw Michael the maintenance man. You're going to train me. And uh, he did. And I think Jimmy lost. It was, uh, it was uh, in unspectacular fashion. But they, came, they became fast friends from there. And then Adam started doing characters on K-Rock. And, and uh, that's where it started. And then they came up with the idea for the man show. They were like, you know, let's just do something from our point of view. This will be fun. We'll do it tongue-in-cheek, but I think guys will go crazy for it. And they pitched it. Michael Davies, who had gotten Jimmy the job on Ben Stein's money, uh, heard their pitch and loved it, and he was one of the executives at ABC at the time. He was the guy behind behind Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? It made all that success. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, that was a little bit before. This was a little bit before that, uh, but he was already getting some juice, and he, you know he had the ear of uh, the big executives at ABC, and ABC paid for the pilot for the Man Show, and um, it was the Tuesday before the upfronts. It was on the docket. It was going to be on it Saturday at ten o'clock, and then the uh, story that we heard is that. Uh, Michael Eisner went in a room, saw the pilot, and then walked out like six minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) This is this is not for network television, and they had like fifteen pages of notes, and everyone was bummed out. But uh, Comedy Central jumped right in and said, "Hey, this is kind of exactly what we're looking for." And Jimmy had known Matt and Trey also, Matt and Matt Stone and Trey Parker, and you know South Park was big, so he got an in at uh, Comedy Central, and yeah, that's how it all started. Okay, so what is your role then? So the, the, the man show gets picked up, and oh, I mean, how many years had you been in L.A. at that point? So I, no, it wasn't even a year. I think it was. Oh, like, so uh, your timing was your yeah. timing was incredible, right? I mean, you get to L.A. It really was and, good. and then boom, you're writing on yeah. the man show. So what's the what's the life like? You were just kind of giving us a description, but what's the life like at that time for the man show? You guys tape how often? Like, what's your day to day when you're writing for the man show? I mean, it was so, I mean, everything about it was great because it's a bunch of like, at the time, I think I was in my late twenties and it's a bunch of guys my age or maybe a little older. And we're just like high school idiots throwing around fart jokes and other, uh, you know, uh, other ideas, (laughs) just a bunch of machismo going around. And we had, like you said, scantily girls on jumping on trampolines willfully and, you know, no one really... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was, no one said a bad word about it either. Like I said, it was yeah. a different time. And it was just great. It just was. And we had one show a week, one 30-minute oh. show a week. You know? Oh, my God. So all the all the tape bits, we could, you know, we can get edit them down to however short we wanted to. It could be perfect. You know, there was no stress. We would go out every night. It was a great job. It really was. It was so how good. long did you do that? So then I wrote on that for uh, – Three years, and then I took over for, well, there was a girl, Nancy Pimentel took over for Jimmy hosting Ben Stein's Money, and then I got a crack at it, crack at it, and I, I got the audition. I beat out uh, Will Wheaton of uh, Star Trek fame, I think. Oh, no, he was uh, Stand By Me, right? It was down to yeah. me, me and Will Wheaton. He was the uh, main character in Stand By Me, and, uh, and I got it, and uh, yeah, I hosted that, and Ben is... You would love Ben, by the way. Uh, next time you come out here, we yeah. have to grab a dinner. I'd love to uh, meet him. Yeah, you lean, you know, you lean the same way politically. I think a lot of on a lot of issues, and he is just a great guy, but a super sore loser. I mean, the sore. <laughs> like, we had to explain. I mean, he would win ninety percent of the games. He would go against three contestants, which would then get narrowed down to one contestant in the final round, and they'd put him, if you've never seen the show, in an isolation booth oh, against yeah. the contestant. 
They'd get 10 questions for 60 seconds, very tough questions, and he would typically get seven or eight out of 10, and the contestant would get three or four. But if he lost, and if he lost the first game, it was a bad day. It was like we did four games a day. We would tape uh, four shows a day. And if he lost the first one, he would stay in his dressing room for about two and a half hours. So I was like, I would always pray, like, please, please, just lose the last show of the day because you can't win all of them because then the show's like done. No one's going to watch it. But if you're going to lose, just lose the last one so we could all go home. But once once he would lose the first one, and they would pay the audience members to be out there. There was a, it was basically they would bus in a uh, a, a group of meth addicts that would pay like twelve dollars <laughs> to watch for the whole day. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Ben was a great guy. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at six a.m. Eastern, three a.m. Pacific. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. We're talking to at the cousin Sal on Twitter. This is Wins and Losses podcast. I am uh, Clay Travis. Make sure you go follow Sal. Tell him how much you're loving uh, this podcast uh, on his uh, on his Twitter feed. So you're there. You do win Ben Steins, and then what happens next? Um. Well, that's what nine uh, eleven happens next. Not that that has anything to do with it, but just to give it a, a timeline and. I, uh, I'm getting married a few months after. All right. Well, hold on. Let's go. Let's go back to the. Let's go back to how you yeah. met your wife. Because we just came out. Uh, right. I brought my wife out to your Halloween party. Uh, Rachel Benetta. Right. The whole. The whole show is there, with the exception of Todd right. Furman, who won't get on an airplane and fly 45 minutes because it's a weekend <laughs> and he can't be away for 45 minutes because that's about how long it takes to fly uh, Vegas to LA right. uh, from games for 45 minutes. So we're there. We have an awesome time. Your wife is outstanding but the way you guys met is also pretty pretty fantastic uh how did you guys meet 
so this is um so this is uh, at the man show yeah and one of uh our buddy was getting married our buddy donick who had like a development deal he was a head writer for letterman for many years and uh he had a development deal and uh so he's getting married and uh, back in mexico and i wasn't even going to go I had just broken up with my girlfriend. I was like, you know what? I, I don't feel like having fun right now. Certainly not in Mexico. This is the one but from I'm the East Coast that you, you tried to go long distance yeah. with? Okay, so you break this, up with this the... This is the one. And we, yeah. Yeah, right. So I, I didn't want to be the bad guy, but I, eventually I broke it off or whatever. So I was like, I'm still like a shitty person. I'm like, I'm not going to go celebrate. And then we go, and uh, I end up going. Jimmy convinces me. A bunch of us go out there, and we hit a bar called Carlos O'Brien's. And uh, we ended up uh, naming our dog Carlos O'Brien, <laughs> my wife and I. But she's there with a group of uh, girls who are go. They're just there on spring break from grad school, and we meet them. And our buddy Daniel, who is a master wrangler, who actually like individually hired each of the Juggy Dance Squad girls, yeah, going of course to various, he did, like strip clubs yeah. and everything. And uh, he was there, and he wrangled. So she was part of one group. There were four groups that he rounded up and put in cabs. Uh, at this bar, Carlos O'Brien's, and brought them back to this uh, this kind of this mansion we uh, rented in uh, in Puerto Vallarta, and so all these girls are there, and I just end up talking to Melissa, and we played tennis. There was a tennis court, and nothing happened except that we hit it off, and we talked all night, and everyone was excited that I was looking at another girl, and all I knew was that she went to Madison, graduate school at Madison, and that her last name was Trojanowski. Which I thought was funny. I was like, that is pretty amazing. So she's at Wisconsin, Madison. She's from Wisconsin. And you know, her last name is Trojanowski, and she's in grad school there. Trojanowski and Carolla was making fun of her all night. Like, that's a linebacker's name for USC. (laughs) Trojanowski, you're going to hit the sleds in a minute. So, So that's all I knew about her. So then we leave Mexico. Everyone's mad at me for not getting her number. I was like, oh, this is a stupid thing. It's not going to happen anyway. Uh, Coincidentally, one of the writers at the man show was getting married in Chicago like a month later. This was March. He was getting married in May. And Chicago's, what, 90-minute drive from uh, from Milwaukee? Yeah. And one of the other writers was like, hey, what if, why don't you take Trojanowski? I was like, well, that's great, but I don't have her number or anything. You know, it's crazy. He's like, if I can get her your number, will you call her and invite her? I was like, yeah, sure. Good luck. So it, it, not as strict as um, – they are these days, I think. I think he called, like, the Bursar's office, and they basically gave him her phone number. He puts her number on my desk, and I was like, oh, now I have to do this. So I call her, and I'm like, hey, I don't want you to think I'm stalking you. but And I actually told her exactly what happened. I'm like, I didn't know your number, but I would like to take you to the, the you know, the, the wedding here. It's in Chicago. And she was, like, a little freaked out. She's like, uh, I'm going to have to call you back maybe tomorrow. I was like, yeah, all right, I totally understand. So then, like, an hour later, the receptionist at the man show is like, uh, I have a Melissa on the phone with you. And Melissa was the name of my ex-girlfriend of eight years. And I was like, oh, Jesus, this is going to be bad. And I tentatively walked to the phone. I answer it, and it was the other Melissa. It's the new Melissa, the one I married. She says, I would love to go to the wedding with you. And we went. We had a great time, and we saw each other once a month after that for a year. And then she moved out to California, and uh, we got married. So that that is an incredible story. Now you have three kids, three boys, uh, and right. uh, and and live in L.A. together. Now, okay, so you uh, so you were that the reason why I brought that story up is you said you were about to it was nine eleven happened and you're about to get married to her. Uh, I think you said, but so then what is going on career wise? Yeah, so that's it. So then 
uh, Jimmy is starting um, Jimmy Kim Alive in January. We had pre-production in November, so I got married in September. So that was it. Yeah, then we start Jimmy Kim Alive. We had no guest booked. Uh, the show was on 9 p.m. The taped at 9 p.m., which all the publicists like hated, you know, because they all have to go. So that's an easy no for a lot of publicists, just based on the time, you know, when the show is starting. Plus, Jimmy's man show roots ran deep still then, so it was very tough to get a female guest. So he kind of had to, you know, he, we, the first week we had Snoop Dogg uh, as a co-host all week. And we had drinking was allowed in the audience. And then someone vomited the first night in the audience. And like, <laughs> I remember Lloyd Braun, the president of ABC, is like, hey, I think we have to uh, class this thing up a little bit. And little by little, we got there. You know, it was a, it was a 12 o'clock show. And we got to move to 1130. That was a nice thing. And now it's, now it's pretty polished and, you know, uh, clicking on all cylinders. But it was not looking good for a while. It really wasn't. So how many people – I have no idea how a show like that, that works. I'm kind of fascinated. How many people are writing when you start uh, the Jimmy Kimmel show when it makes its debut? How many people are on the writing staff? We had 12 writers, 12 or 13 writers. I think there's like 14 now. So I think we had 11 or 12 writers. Uh, it was made up of a whole – people of all sorts, like – he took some man show writers with him. Uh, then we had some Harvard writers. You know, a lot of Harvard Lampoon writers end up in late night. We had a few of those. Uh, we had a female writer, which was big at the time. There wasn't, wasn't a lot of that going on, you know. Um, and so that was it. Yeah, we, uh, we had a nice mix from everywhere. So you guys will show up. What, do you, what does it take? Like, what does putting on a nightly show take? You guys would show up at what time and start, like, spitballing ideas for that night show? Like, what's the day-to-day at that time? Well, it's different now, but when we started the so the show taped at nine o'clock, it was live. Uh, and someone came on and used used the F word. I think the guy that played the Punisher and standards <laughs> and practices didn't didn't catch it, and he said it like three times, and they they let it go like two out of three times, and they're like, screw this, you're on a uh, yeah, you're going on a six second delay, you're not live anymore. In fact, you're going to tape earlier. So that was that. But so when we taped at nine. We would get there about 11, and we would spitball ideas from, like, 11 to 1. Uh, Jimmy was there. And then he would uh, narrow it down to, like, seven ideas slash bits that he wanted to go out and shoot. And, uh, and we saw which three or four of those worked best. Now, that was, we kind of had an unlimited budget back then, so they wanted to try everything. Like, we were spending, like, $30,000 on an Act 7. You know, they would send me to the... Uh, to Chicago for a bacon eating contest or something. So yeah. They said, like, just try everything and we'll see what works. But that's how it would work. Jimmy would narrow it down to three, um, three ideas for the show, and there would be like seven topics to write on, and we would write on those all day. And we were also watching clips. Like Jimmy would uh, did like a talk soup thing where we had like a lot of clips from like reality shows were huge back then. So Joe Millionaire was on. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah. Joe oh, yeah. I love Joe Millionaire. Yeah. Uh, it was an unbelievable concept and uh, it really, Brilliant show. really ahead of its time. Yeah, so we would watch all those shows, and the writers would watch those shows. Now we have TV watchers who are miserable. They have to watch TV all day, but shows they don't want to watch, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we would do that, and we'd write uh, jokes to clips, and we'd write uh, bit ideas and uh, jokes for the topics of the day, which were rarely political uh, as it's changed now. Now, was that more stressful of a job than the man show? It's obviously you're working a lot more. You got five hours or so of programming as opposed to a half hour a week. 
Yeah, it definitely was. It wasn't. It wasn't because yeah, you have to get the product on an hour product, and you have you know one day to do it, and you know the, so if a if a if a edit bay crashes uh, at the man show on a Wednesday when the show is Friday or Saturday, you're okay. But if it's crashing like an hour before the show and you haven't rendered all the graphics for some stupid uh, man on the street bit, uh, you're in trouble. But the one good thing about it is, uh, and Jimmy talked about, it, he's like. You got to just get everything to 90% where, uh, you know, on the man show, I wanted it at 100%, but because we have this crunch time, we have to at least get it to 90 and then we have another show the next day and yeah. the next day and the next day. So you have to have realistic ex- like expectations. So it's a little less stressful in uh, that respect, but uh, always uh, high stress when on a daily show. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmental Environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep. Sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. So I'm curious on this, like your trajectory of doing the man show, Ben Stein's money, and even early days of Jimmy Kimmel in a pre-social media era, like it seems like things were a lot more free flowing and there was less like anger all the time. Did you guys feel that or did you people get angry just as much at back then? They just didn't have the same forum to voice it. And the reason why I ask that is I'll give you an example. When I was, uh, when I was in college, I was an intern uh, in Congressman Bob Clement's office, right, in uh, the Nashville Congressman. Uh-huh. And I had to open the mail and answer the phones. That was my job. And so you can imagine answering the phone in a congressman's office. People are furious all the time. And opening the mail, uh-huh. people are furious all the time. But it was like people didn't have a forum to be able to spread their fury as rapidly and as expansively. And so most of the time we were just like, yeah, that's just a crank, right? Like that's just somebody who's angry at the world. You can't take them too uh-huh. seriously. They're the kind of person who would call up a congressman's office 
and cuss you out or the kind of person who would write a letter and really let you have it. And we were like, that's a small percentage of the overall population. Now it seems like, and we didn't allow what they said to us to dictate the way we behaved. Now it seems like we allow those same people to dictate a ton of what goes on in our society today. So the reason why I'm asking this question is, I'm curious, did you guys get angry phone calls and angry letters back in the day uh, before people had social media? Like, And did you ever see any of that? Or has social media changed it relative to your experience and I'm sure the show's experience? No, I mean, it's, it's definitely, definitely, definitely a lot worse now and a lot more stressful And that what you have to react to or what you have to decide is a legitimate complaint or, you know, I mean, even with YouTube, we see comments, you know, I, I can run a hidden camera bit and, you know, a lot of people could like it and then a lot of people could just focus on how mean it is to, you know, yes. like or pick out some racial aspect to it that yeah. doesn't even exist but gets the conversation going. And then you're like, holy crap, but do I really have to re- respond to this? And yeah. like, uh, we were in trouble, though. I will say in the early days when the Pistons beat the Lakers in the, uh, in the NBA Finals, Jimmy made a comment, something to the effect of, uh, Detroit better hope they don't win because they're going to burn down the city if they do. And uh, this was not good. Detroit was a big affiliate for us. ABC uh, affiliate Detroit was huge. And it was bad, and he like basically he had to like apologize. Like it was really, really snowballed uh, to a point where we had to do a show, a week of shows from Detroit uh, to kind of make amends. And that was all he said. That was all he said. That was it. And by the way, they won and they burned the city down. Not the city, but we had we had had clips of cars being overturned for like sixteen hours. You know, craziness. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because you just don't—they don't want that pointed out. So, whatever. So we had to make nice there. But that was a big, big deal. Nowadays, it's just any little thing gets blown out of proportion. And you're right because it takes an effort to write a letter. Yes. Uh, anyone could send out a tweet in in eight seconds, and who knows who's reading those tweets or how prominent uh, the person tweeting is. And. And that's that. I mean, you know that more than anybody. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, what I've tried to do, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I have tried to hopefully just power through and not respond most of the time to critics. Because, look, I'm, I'm 40 now. I have been publicly uh-huh. writing for 15 years. And I've written a lot of crazy stuff over 15 years, right? Uh, and I don't think it's I, – I, I think it's always crazy. And you guys have – videotapes out there and everything else for people to go back through and say oh well you said in 1999 x or you said in 2004 y or whatever else you're like yeah i you know like am and like anybody else have different views than i might have had when i was you know 22 or 24 or or 34 or whatever the math might be but the goal especially with what you guys were doing is to be funny and i always think we don't look enough at what the intent is behind something when people get upset, right? Like, it's almost impossible for a comedian to offend me because the goal of the comedian is to make you laugh. And sometimes in order to make you laugh, you have to say things that are cringeworthy, right? Sometimes well beyond the bounds of what's acceptable because you're trying to creatively uh, make something new, right? So, I think it's wild that we've ended up in this universe where comedians of all people, people are like, oh my God, can you believe that Trevor Noah said X or Jimmy back in the day or David Letterman or anybody yeah. else? Like, this is crazy to me. And I feel bad because a lot of these comedians end up apologizing yes. for you know their, their act and 
I don't know if they mean it. it just uh, yeah, someone's offended, so you have to apologize. But doesn't it, it, it's? I'm sure it's still funny to a lot of these people. And you know, if if the times weren't what they are, they would continue on with a similar or act. I think some people are grandfathered in. We lost Joan Rivers. We lost yeah. Don Rickles all within like 18 months. And my friend Jeffrey Ross is a the roast master general. You know him uh, from uh, the Comedy yeah, Central yeah. roast. I feel like he's kind of grandfathered into the whole thing, but. I don't know. Howard don't Stern know is grandfathered in. He can Howard stay Stern. say pretty much anything. Um, it, it's interesting. Like I, John Stewart obviously went on to Daily Show fame, but before he was famous, I remember him coming to uh, GW where I went to undergrad, and he did his comedy special there. He was like the homecoming uh, performer, and he did an entire bit on which is kind of similar to how Dave Chappelle recently started his most recent uh, comedy special talking about the Michael Jackson uh, incident but de- uh, but um John Stewart did an entire bit on how he thought people didn't talk enough about how John Benet Ramsey was a pretty good-looking little girl right like an entire bit and it was like at a college right which nowadays my god can you imagine somebody doing something like that oh, yeah. and it was wildly wildly and insanely inappropriate but it yep. wasn't like anybody in college protested or like said, oh, my no. God, this guy could never be. He's a comedian, and it may be wildly inappropriate, but I kind of think that's what comedians are supposed to be. That's their role because through satire, you can say things that people who are trying to be serious cannot say, right? Like, And so the fact that we've lost some of these voices or the voices are so chilled is one of the things that drives uh-huh. me the most crazy about, uh, about life. But I'm sure for what you guys did, I mean, when you're sitting in a room spitballing ideas, a ton of them end up being inappropriate, but they also lead to things that genuinely make people ha- happy and make them laugh their asses off. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you, what would you recommend? Because I think you use Twitter uh, almost optimally, right, to your advantage. But I don't know, would you recommend that people delete all their tweets? If they're yeah, it's such, a fascinating, it's such a fascinating question. Like a, yeah, like, like if you're, you're a comedian who has a show on, uh, you know, not that Roseanne, not that, that this is how it yeah, right. Roseanne, because it was a current thing that, that got her knocked out of the box. But would you recommend, like, why wouldn't you delete all your tweets? Yeah, right? like, like I'll what, give you an example. What, like the Guardians of the Galaxy guy, I think his name's James Gunn. I I don't know if you saw Uh, my kids love all the Marvel movies, right? Guardians of the Galaxy one and two are absolutely phenomenally well done movies. They're funny. They're Mm -hmm. smart. Like they're perfectly well crafted. I don't know that guy from Adam, but he did such an incredible job on Guardians of the Galaxy one and two that I don't care what he's ever said in his past. I want him doing Guardians of the Galaxy three. All right. And then people go back through his old tweets and they say, oh, my God, back in 2009, he made this joke, which is totally inappropriate. And the same thing happened to Kevin Hart when he gets the ability to do the Oscars. Right. And so the one thing I am somewhat thankful for is I only came to Twitter as a like I joined it for my career. So I was always conscious of this has got like it's going everywhere. And I wasn't, you know, some 15-year-old high school kid making jokes with my buddies, you know, like, and then suddenly I end up doing what I do now. But yeah, I've told my kids this, and I would tell any kids who are listening to this now, if you aren't a public figure, I think when you go away to college, you should delete everything that you've ever put out onto the internet and start Uh anew and understand that at 18, once you become an adult, 
everything's public and you got to be careful about what you're doing there. And if you become somewhat quote unquote famous or you have a public job, like all these athletes, you know, I would tell every athlete, you know, Dante DiVincenzo wins the uh, MVP of the uh, final four. Right. And then people find out that he's tweeted out lyrics to uh, a Meek Mill song. Like when he was 15 years old, that's supposedly offensive now, or uh, Josh Allen's about to be drafted by the bills and people go back through and they're like, Oh my God, you know, he used an inappropriate word when he was 14 or 15. All of those guys, if I were running a college, I'd be like, you're wiping all your social media clean the day you sign a con, the day you sign a scholarship with us. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, let's say someone approached you. Let's keep it to you right now. Yeah, yeah. Let's say someone approached you and said, hey, you have 24 hours to go through your Twitter and delete whatever you said in the past that you think might be uh, – might be a little over the edge. Otherwise, we're going to dig it out. We're going to scrutinize you for it. How many of those do you delete? Do you delete any of them, or do you stand by your, your – do you stick your ground? I think I'd stick my ground, but that's only because – I've been public since – I mean, look, people have gone back through my old tweets. Like, I said that uh, DeMarcus Cousins would get arrested one day because he got a d- couple of double technicals and got kicked out of a game uh, at Vanderbilt. And I was like, he'll get arrested within five years. And people go back through and search through my old tweets and everything else. I, first of all, assume that people have all – if you hate me – and this is really funny to think about, but I just love the idea of somebody who hates me, like typing in my name and looking for bad words that I might have used over the last decade, right? So I don't delete very much. I've sent 100,000 tweets. But again, I was aware that I was a a public figure. So I wouldn't be really that. I'm not concerned about somebody going back through my old tweets. It happens. Um, The only thing I delete is if like, I put something out that I that later becomes untrue. Like sometimes people will be like, "Hey, uh, you know, like uh, I don't know, this guy is going to sign with uh, with so and so," and then it turns out that it's not true. Rather than have people constantly spread something that I tweeted and commented on that was untrue, <laughs> like factually untrue, like I'll delete those. Right. But otherwise, just opinions. Like I, I don't do. It. What about you? Have you gone back and like had well, somebody I, like go through? No, that's funny. So you'd rather be offensive than wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? 100%. I would 100% rather be offensive than wrong. And that's a big deal to me, right? Like, I'm okay if my opinions end up being wrong. If I look like an idiot on an opinion, but if you, I get upset at myself. If I'm on the radio or if I'm on this podcast and I get a fact wrong, that bothers me. Because to me, in order for me to believe in my opinion, I have to build it on a structure of factual accuracy, right? So you may not agree with where I end up, and that's one of the things that troubles me about society today is that we don't have a common basis of facts anymore. It seems like people just make up the the underlying facts and then they reach opinions. And to me, I'm fine with opinions, but they have to be rooted in some form of reality. For instance, if you you told me, well, Tom Brady has thrown more interceptions than he has touchdowns, and therefore I like the Cowboys to win this weekend – I'll be like, well, no, that's not I, like you can't have that argument, right? But it feel like that we're having the equivalent of those arguments a lot now, where they're based in unsound facts, and then they lead to even more ridiculous opinions. I'm fine with crazy I, opinions okay. as long as they have facts based on them, and I really, genuinely don't I care about offending anybody. Right. Well, I, I, I don't accept that. You know, I got a family to raise, and you know, you don't want the sponsors going away. And worse than that, you don't want crazy people coming to your house, finding out where you live. Yeah, you know right. Mean? So yeah. I am always thinking about it. I hate that, you know, you're, you're creatively blocked 
by that. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I had to uh, soften my thoughts a little bit or, or think a little bit before I said that. I think years ago the, the I had money on USA versus Puerto Rico in the some uh, some some exhibition game, and USA lost, and everyone knew I had bet it. And I wrote something like, Puerto Rico, so what, Puerto Rico, we still own you. We literally own you or something. And I was, yeah. And I, I don't think I ever got in more trouble now. I'm like, oh, shit, I got I to gotta get rid of this. I'm getting death threats, like, right? So at what point do you, you know, I brought up Matt and Trey before, and they were, you know, what, what was it that, what was their big thing where they were? They, they put up, but, like, uh, uh, they put up the, the Muhammad, right? Like, wasn't that, like, they, right. they had they had a character, and, like, I mean, that's what they killed those guys for Charlie Hebdo or whatever in France. Right, in France, in France, that's right. So they those guys push it to the women. God bless them. Like, I don't know how they they do it, but um, I think they're, they're few and far between of those, those guys and everybody else. I'll tell you this. This is the one thing that, that, that troubles me. You mentioned the wife and kids, and we're similar in that you've got three boys and I've got three boys. I genuinely don't uh-huh. care what anybody says about me. And you can say that's a flaw. Like, I don't, my wife is like, I don't know how you ended up with like that as part of your makeup. Uh, but uh-huh. I just, it doesn't impact me in any way, right? It just like right. It goes right over my, right off my shoulders, right over my head, whatever else. But soon after I started working at Fox, like five or six years ago, somebody we I bought my first house in Nashville under my name. You could type it in. You could see exactly where we lived. I was not, in my opinion, a public figure at the time. We lived right downtown. Anybody could drive right up to my house, get out, ring the doorbell, knock on the door, whatever else. And then when I started working at Fox, um, I had an opinion. I don't remember what the opinion was, but it was out there that somebody didn't like. It was, it was about a football game. You know, like who's going to win a football game or a coach is not good. And there was a guy on Twitter who uh, took to Twitter and he, uh, screened, he searched out where I lived. He tagged me and my wife on Twitter and he had a Google image of my house that he had taken. And he said, we know where you live and we know when you're in L.A. and your wife is home with the kids by herself. Wow. And so to yeah. me, like when that, I saw that, I'm like, first of all, I'm a, you know, a, a, a steadfast First Amendment guy. But I believe that the guy who tweeted me that should go to jail. Right. Like, I think that that person should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And I think he should go to jail. I think that's way beyond the bounds of acceptable discourse, all those things. But when we bought a new house, uh, my wife, like, I don't know, a couple uh, a year and a half later or whatever, um, she was like, I want to buy a new house. And we bought in a place where, you know, like we didn't buy it under our own name. Uh, you can't look it up easily. Um, it's not like we're hiding. It's not like we're in some like uh, in, you know undisclosed location. But <clears throat> that's the only thing that really bothers me about the world that we live in now is I do worry about crazy people. Not so much for me, but in some way trying to do something to my wife or my kids. And that to me is the the, the really biggest downside of being in any way a public figure. And I'm far down the list. But you just don't – you can't stop crazy, right? And so that's the thing that probably is the only thing that worries me about having any kind of public life. Well, I think the thing that helps is how is Laura with that? Is she – is your wife – is she like, ah, don't worry about it. We can't give into this stuff. Keep doing what you're doing? Or is she – Yeah, know, my, wife is, my wife is – yeah, my wife is tougher than I am. So, uh, I mean, right. now she is like any wife. Like, she doesn't listen to the radio show. Uh, because she's like, I worry so much about you. Because I don't say anything different on the radio than I say to her. But she's like, I worry so much about in this day that we live in 
that you say exactly what you think every day. And every time you talk, I'm like, oh, my God, don't say that. Somebody's going to be upset by that. And I totally understand it. I think it's like being a parent watching a sporting event. Like, it's not that much fun if if your kid is, like, in a really tight game because you're not only watching the game hoping they win, but you're like, oh, I hope they don't screw up. Right. Like, I don't want I don't want, you know, so I think that's kind of the way that she deals with what I do. What about your wife? Like, does she how how does she respond to this kind of stuff? Because she's got a great sense of humor. Uh, And I think both of our wives would not have ended up with us if they didn't have really good senses of humor and also be pretty tough in terms of what we can say to them relative to what maybe other women might be upset by. Yeah, she does. And like, you know, but, but, you know, all it takes is one idiot and one comment that she runs fast. And I remember like, you know, it all comes down to how specific, and you gave a specific example about the person knowing where you live and knowing when your wife and kids are home alone. And that's what bugs you when they know the specifics. And like, you know, on New Year's Eve, I think I did something to someone in a hidden camera and a fan didn't like it. And, uh, and they, they, listen in the comment section, I think of YouTube, like, you deserve to die. And you are going to die on the 405 New Year's Eve. So just watch out. And I was like, shit, I am going to be on the 405 on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Like, this, this sucks. I really now I have to drive. You know, it, it takes an hour to get 10 miles anyway. I have to now go out of my way. What do I What do I think about this? So, and, you know, my cousin Jimmy gets it much worse. And they get much, you know, because he, he goes after Trump every night. And there are people yeah. Um, or on the other side, but they'll, you know, like when they involve kids and his kid went through something terrible, a horrible surgery when he was very young, and then when they bring him into it, it's like, oh my God, what what are we doing here? This is uh, this is really, I almost rather just like delete Twitter altogether. I don't know what Twitter does anymore either. I have over 200,000 followers and you have more than that, but I needed people to show up at a bar, a Raiders bar, a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, hey, four o'clock. You'll be on Fox uh, pregame show. Maybe there's tickets in it for you. Not one motherfucker showed up. And I was like, what the fuck is this? It is not one person who show up. It is, it is frustrating, and, um, and I almost feel like there needs to be a sort of a national roundtable where you're like, hey, it's almost like the mafia got together, and they're like, hey, you can say whatever you want about us. But, you know, wives and kids are off limits. Like, let's kind of come up with a reasonable yeah, right. approximation of what the rules should be and uh, and just have people naturally agree to them. I think one of the challenges we've got going on right now is the technology is so far ahead of the moral code. And what I mean by that is, like, we had eons to figure out, hey, don't kill each other. You know, like, and then we had, we understood that rule and we could apply it for guns and we could apply it for billy clubs and we could apply it for whatever weapon was coming down the pike, right? Nobody really knows how to respond to social media. And so, you know, how do you kind of craft a, uh, a functional moral code and put it into ordinary speech? And the example I use is I have never in my entire life, and you may be shocked by this, but it's true. I've never in my entire life had a single person ever come up to me and say, I hate you and I want to punch you right now like you are the worst human being on the planet. I have like Didn't 50... Didn't that during the, during the commercial break? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Other than the people that I already yeah. know. But I have that happen to me 50 right. times every day on social media. And yet in public, right. I've never had a single... And the exact opposite is true. In public, people come up to me and they're always like, I absolutely love everything that you say. Please never change. Be yeah. the exact person that you are now. Um, and I've even had a... Uh, it, doesn't ha- it happens every now and then because I don't block that many people. But I'll have people come up to me and they'll say, hey... 
you blocked me like two years ago. I'm a huge fan. I was really drunk. I'm sorry that I sent you all those tweets after we lost a game that you told me to bet on or whatever. Because I'll just, if somebody tweets me like 10 things in a row, I just block them, right? Like, I'm like, I don't want to get, this is not, you know, like, um, and so, but even that, like people come up and they're basically acknowledging, yes, you know, I kind of violated the moral code. It won't happen again. And so I think it's so fake. It's just so artificial. And that's why letting it drive our country in any way is, I think, a broken fundamental aspect of what we do. Right. And I get that, too. I get the same thing. Uh, I'll get people like, you know, to try to get in the Twitter world, man. I'll rarely respond, but then I will, and I'll be angry. And I'll be like, ah, just kidding, Cousin Town, big fan. I've been listening to you. So I was like, what the fuck? Why, <laughs> yeah. why does this have to be like this, man? But I think you're right. If these same computer cowards approach to in the airport. So you're at like a zero percent and not that this should be a challenge for anybody, but zero percent of those who are bad mouthing you online approach you and, and, and tell you to your face. But if that were like thirty percent, that would make life unbearable, right? Yeah. So if no, that just... number stays low, yeah, we'll we'll be okay. I guess. It's not only that, I think it's the people come up and they want a picture. You know, like they're like, I'll fight you if I ever see you in person. And then when they actually see you in person, right. they say, hey, can I get a picture with you? And so it's yeah. like, it's, it's, it's just it's fundamentally it's totally different. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. 
All right, so uh, and I've kept you on here for a while. I'm Clay Travis. This is Wins and Losses. We're talking to at the Cousin Sal on Twitter. So what's next for you? Like, you're on Thursday Night Football now. We've got Lock It In rolling. You've been a gambler your whole life, which I haven't even hardly asked you about. Do you like gambling now more since your picks are out there publicly, or did you like gambling more before people knew your picks? Oh, I liked it before. Are you talking about those bad threats and everything? Like, I once... You know, I was on ESPN. I picked for two years on Thursday nights on Sports Center, and I was—I um, picked like seventy-five percent of my best bets correct. And um, and I would—and uh, I was like, after they fired me, and so I had this show. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just sell my picks. You know, yeah. and then you find out that's a shady, a scummy business, and you need to be a, a salesman as much as you do. You know, pick games right. You have to, you know, re-up the packages and everything. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty much. I'm getting death threats for giving out picks for free. Is I'm charging people like I can't do this, you know. So, but now, so, but anyway, we're giving out picks online, and yeah, we get a lot of grief. And I do. I was. I was going to ask you this too. Like, how does watching a game now compared to ten years ago, compared to twenty years ago? I. I really think I liked it when I first moved out to LA, and I was I had my knees and my parlays and everything else, and rooted for my Cowboys. But it was still a simpler time, and now there's just like so much pressure to keep up with social media. Am I tweeting enough on a Sunday? Am I tweeting too much? Why didn't I cover this? So it is very hectic. Obviously, I've made a living out of it somehow. The Supreme Court, God bless you, state by state, we're getting there. But uh, I definitely miss the viewing experience of football um, back like uh, – like 20 years ago. I definitely like having the money. I remember there was a time you have Harry, my friend Harry, uh, and we went to college together. You have him on your, uh, on your radio Yeah, he comes show. on every Wednesday. You know, we, we would lose a lot of money. We were down a lot. And I remember, uh, as a quick Harry story, at Oswego, we were down thousands of dollars to the local bookie who took a liking to us and let us, for $6 a game, referee the uh, rec league, like 12-year-old, 13-year-old uh, boys basketball league. We would referee. I was like, all right, we're, we're going to have to ref like 300 games here. We're just never going to do it. So we showed up, and then we started betting each other on the games we were refing. So we would call <laughs> terrible. It would be like charge calls out of nowhere. And we did this for three games. We were like further in debt with each other. It was ridiculous. And then the parents started getting mad, and we got fired from the job. So it really snowballed. But um, but luckily I don't have that problem except for a dumb bet with you every now and then. We're going to have to think of another one. Uh, I can at least cover my losses. Thanks to – Yeah, what did your wife say when you lost – we lost almost $60,000 uh, betting right, yeah. on the Saints. For people who don't know, the Saints uh, lost over that awful non-pass interference call against the Rams. What did your wife say uh, when she realized uh, that, that you had lost twenty seven k? Well, I lied to her. She never yeah. Did. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully she's not. Hopefully she won't listen to this. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully she won't. Uh, you know what's so, weird? The original ticket we had had eight thousand dollars or something on it, and then you know we bought it because it was it was paying off. Uh, and I think I think she thinks that's what we paid or split or something. But my I'm wife one hundred percent thought that she saw the picture of the ticket oh, really? on the, on the social media, and she was like, oh, "Okay, it's right. not that bad." And then she was like, she later heard us talking about. It. She's like, "Wait, did you lose twenty seven thousand dollars?" I was like, "Yeah, I was not. Well, we don't need to talk about that right now." Um, 
But so it is interesting to think about how quickly everything has moved there. And I think you were saying, do am I tweeting enough? Now, no, I, I pretty much have decided almost that Twitter is going to be my forum. Like I'll go on Instagram sometimes, but I don't really think people want to look at pictures of me. So I don't want to end up being the old guy who's trying to keep up with TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and everything right. else. Like if Twitter dies, I'll probably be like, you know what? That was a good run that I had. It kind of helped me grow my audience a little bit, but I don't need to be on, you know, like in that, what was the, uh, the thing on office where the guy had like 15 different things all connected where you're constantly communicating, oh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was just yeah, such a great, such a great show, but it was like uh wolf wolf. I feel like it was wolf something or other. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but yeah, so, so yeah, it is interesting now that people are, are paying a lot of attention to the bet. So what you're writing a book, right? I am. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm throughout this football season tough to knock out like 4,000 words a week, but I'm uh, yeah. trying to get it done. And yeah, I, I have, uh, I realized I have enough gambling stories to, to last, uh, four or 500 pages, but, um, yeah, it's fun. It's, uh, you, you know, you have to just sit down and knock it out. I, I feel bad because it's like last on my priority list. I, I try to knock it out Saturday before the Sunday games, but, um, yeah, it's, it's really weird what a degenerate I was over the years. It really was. Um, uh, that Harry story, like, I, I had trouble with, like, I had to chase guys down. It's funny, ironically, I was booking bets in law school. I was going to law school and booking bets, and that was, like, the only time I made money betting myself, which doesn't really count as betting yourself. You're taking other people's bets. But, yeah, the, the psychology behind it, and you know this, is uh, people win. They mostly keep their money in until they lose. And people lose, they double up until they win, and they never, ever do. Now, yeah. if you're going to bet once a year during the Super Bowl or a couple of weeks during the playoffs, you could get lucky. But if you're taking shots 21 weeks in a row for football, it's likely almost definite that you're going to be on the minus side, right? Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmental Environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. 
And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Let me give you a couple more questions here to finish. Thanks for doing this. Wins and losses. I'm Clay Travis. He's at the Cousin Sal on Twitter. How did you meet Bill Simmons and end up doing the podcast? Was that entirely just through the Kimmel writing staff, or did you guys know each other beforehand? Bill was uh, no Jimmy had roasted Shaq. He had done a, a roast of Shaq, and Bill had his uh, column on ESPN, and he I think he reviewed it. I think he did like a timeline review. Um, of the of the roast, and he was he wrote a very favorable uh, review of Jimmy, and Jimmy met him online, and then Simmons had this this he would do ramblings on his column, and it would just be like two line uh, uh, like observations on pop culture events, and Jimmy's like, this is kind of what I want for my show, this is what I want for the monologue for my show, and he hired Bill, he brought him out from Boston, which is a big move for Simmons and his family to move out here, and we hit it off, we shared an office and hit it off immediately, we were like wrestling, we all always, of course, like football and gambling on football, and then on Mondays, we would do, we would guess the lines for the next week, we would take the USA Today, we'd cover it up and we'd guess, and we'd I don't even know what we'd bet, like $10 each, on who would come closest to the lines, the full slate. And then uh, he's like, let's make a podcast out of this. And for uh, 14 years, we've been doing Get the Lines on Sunday night, Monday morning. And people seem to love that podcast, right? Like, I mean, you know, you get people coming up to you all the time who are just familiar with your voice who haven't even necessarily seen you, right, through that podcast? I think so. That's that's what I'm, I'm known for. Like, uh, I could do a million hidden cameras or anything else, but I feel like that's what I'm known for uh, more than anything. Last question for you. Everybody has different directions that they end up in their life that otherwise, if they don't take that path, they end up in a totally different per- a different person, maybe a different uh, universe almost, it feels like. Uh, for me, I can't imagine what my life would have been if I hadn't met my wife when I did in law school. She thinks I would have been a total failure. A lot of you may think I'm a total failure anyway, but that's what she believes. Um, and you know, a lot of spouses probably believe that about their significant others. But for you, you talked about being on that bridge and your car catches fire. What would you? What would your life be right now if Jimmy doesn't call and say, hey, I got this gig for you, you need to come to L.A. and take it? Where do you think you'd be? Oh, man. Uh, I have another cousin in Spain who has a late-night talk show host. <laughs> I, and there's no shortage of cousins. No, no. Uh, you know what? I hate to say it, but I'd probably have to run and retrieve that burning-up car on the Tappan Zee Bridge and just head to the next closing. Like I think I would have stuck – Stuck with law for a while, and uh, and then I would have broken up with the girlfriend, and her mother got me the job. So I'd probably have to work uh, at a shift working at a dairy barn or something, and I probably would squander three quarters of my paycheck betting uh, three team teasers all week. Honestly, I didn't have high hopes for myself. I really, and I wasn't <laughs> very motivated. And like I said, I wasn't, uh, you know, I was a, a slave to that law that law school loan. So it wouldn't have been pretty. Let's put it that way. Uh, there's a lot. It is interesting, though. So, and again, the the concept of the the podcast is wins and losses, encouraging people to at time take risks and also recognize that along the way there are going to be some failures. Uh, but you obviously are having a lot of successes now. It's lots of fun to work with you. Anything else you would say to people uh, as they roll out who may need a bit of wisdom uh, here headed into the holidays? No, I, I just think you know life's too short to be. I mean, everyone's heard it before, but it just. I think it's one of the two things. 
if you're going to be miserable at your job, make enough money so that you can treat yourself right vacationing a couple of weeks a year. And if you're not in there, take a chance. Just do it. Roll the dice and take a chance and do something that you want to do. Put yourself in a field that you could see yourself excelling in and being interested in going to work for in the next you know, 20, 30 years because that's what it's all about. Uh, you can watch us every single day, 4.30 Eastern, 3.30 Central, 2.30 Mountain, 1.30 Pacific on FS1. He's at the Cousin Sal on Twitter. I am Clay Travis. This has been the Wins and Losses podcast. We're on every day. Cousin Sal and I, along with Todd Furman and Rachel Bonetta, on FS1 on Lock It In. Good stuff, my man. I appreciate it. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. Hope you guys are having great weeks, great years, wherever you are. This has been the Wins and Losses podcast with Clay Travis. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.